Thank you for tuning in. In this episode, you'll listen to Reverend Charlie Johnson tell us the legacy of her amazing son, Jason, and the very painful loss of his life through the hatred that would remind you of Emmett Till. Jason was gifted, loving, and left an indelible mark on so many lives. Hear how the Lord has lifted Charlie, Jason's dad, Oscar, and others to continue in faith and realize that you can do the same. Jason's story continues in an upcoming Netflix special, so watch for it. Meantime, feel free to send us a message through the podcast, letting Reverend Johnson know what a blessing she has been by your sharing after you've heard this. so pleased and blessed to have with me Reverend Charlie Kibby Johnson tonight. She will talk to us about her wonderful son, Jason, and we'll hear from her the things that God has done to bring her through a tragedy, but after we hear about how amazing he was. I want to say that I have known Reverend Johnson, and I struggle to call her Reverend Johnson (laughs) (laughs) because I always call her Charlie. But I I want people to know that she is a woman of God. But I've known her since I was a little girl, and she's always been amazing ever since I've known her. She and my mother were best of friends, and our families are like family. But I really want you to zoom in tonight on what God has done for her and to believe God for anything that you are facing. So I'm going to stop talking and let her begin to introduce herself to you. Okay, it's such a pleasure to be here with you because I knew you before you were born. Your mom and I were pregnant at the same time. She had the girl I wanted. So now I got you back. But (laughs) this has been nothing less than a miracle of the way God has handled my life. I, um, I have always liked to dance and uh, danced since I was five years old. And throughout my life, even during the times that I was raising my family, that that dancing spirit was always in me. And um, God began to show me that there was something in me that I had never seen before, and that was the teaching spirit. But that teaching spirit was not what I thought it was. So, my husband and I got married at very young age, had three boys. And during the time the boys were coming up, I was blessed enough to be at home with them. I worked very short hours with my husband, but I was able to fix their breakfast every morning and people that have boys know they can go. Fix their breakfast every morning, uh, very seldom cold cereal. It was always the hot breakfast, pancakes, eggs, 
sausage biscuits, whatever. And I got off early enough to have their dinner. Uh, in between uh, the children, they all played sports. Brian, Darren, and Jason all played sports. And uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I found a calendar. And this is, God is just so awesome. I found a calendar of the times that I had to drop one off, pick one up, drop one off, pick one up. And I began to weep because at the time it didn't bother me. I was just doing what I had to do. But God showed me he was in control because it was a lot. I had one at one time that was a senior, uh, one that was a, um, no, in high school, one in junior high and one in elementary. But all my life, I, I would, even at the time I did not know it, God had his hand on me and he was leading me and guiding me because as you know, we came out of homes where we went to church and we went to Sunday school. Your mother and I went to the same Sunday school class for a while. We started in kindergarten together. We were close. And this is what was done then. And I tried to raise my boys the same way that I was raised. And then there was some times when my mother didn't understand what I was doing and I had to let her know, well, mama, we're doing the best that we can, but I really wanted to tell her, mama, it's a new day, but I dare not. But we were blessed to have boys that didn't get in trouble. They did mischievous things, but they didn't get in trouble. But my heart, was always with the Lord and the Lord was with me so strongly, but I didn't know what that was. I um, started my business and I was, I've always considered myself a late bloomer because I found my niche at 40 and I started my business at 40 years old. God let me, he just orchestrated everything for me and I was able to follow him. I knew that it was God but I didn't realize how strong this Holy Spirit was in me. Every step along the way, I wanted something, I prayed about it, and God did it his way. It wasn't always my way. But I opened my business when I was 40 years old. And after being in business for a few years, God began to change me. I, had, um, I was at a church where I received a prophecy and a man from West Virginia, I had never seen before, prophesied to me that God was taking my dance away. I went out in the spirit. So the lady that was recording said, uh, Sister Charlie, I know you didn't hear what was going on. And I didn't. He said, I, God said, I'm taking your dance away, but I'm giving you a new dance. And that was when I changed from secular to spiritual. God began to do things in my life, Tracy, that was so amazing to me as I look back. But when I was walking through it, it just seemed like some, something natural. So many of the young women that were in my classes got saved because I was, <laughs> I was serious. And after I had re really realized what salvation was in the Holy Spirit, I began to let all of them know that this is the only way, this is the way, and this is the only way. There's some that were in my class that were rebellious, 
Some now are pastors, some are ministers, some are evangelists, some are Sunday school teachers. So God used me even at a time when I didn't understand what was going on. And that's pretty much my story. I stayed in business until COVID. It was 37 and a half years. And I could hear God saying, expiration date, expiration date. So it was time for something new. And I'm just... I'm just crazy enough to know and believe if God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. So that's where I am today. Amen. Well, I know how amazing Charlie's Body Shop was, right? Um, yes. Um, you had a wonderful uh, uh, dance studio where you taught dance and um, changed lives. I knew that. Amen. Well, sometimes we don't know the path from one thing to the next until God tells us, right? Amen. Amen. Yes. He has has brought you to, um, through that, he directed you more into ministry than what you thought was in your future. You're right. You're so right. Yes. Amen. Um, So I want the audience to hear about Jason. What an amazing young man he was. Whatever you want to share about how wonderful he was, um, we want to hear that. Okay, okay. Jason was my Samuel and I was Hannah. I had the two boys and I wanted a third child. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And the older woman across the street from where we lived on Ridge, I'll never forget it. I would come over and i say, I think I'm pregnant. And then she, I'd come back two weeks and say, no, I'm not. So one day she said, I am so tired of you saying that. I would be so glad when the Lord gives you a baby. It was six years between my last two, between Darren and Jason. And it was something about him. When Jason was born, he looked nothing like me. He didn't even have a toenail like that. And I said, as much as I prayed for him, he doesn't look anything like me. He looked exactly like his father. But Jason was that child that hung on to me. He was at my hip. The old two older boys played ball in the Cleed town. And a friend of ours used to say, here comes Charlie and her husband. Jason went everywhere with me. He was amazing type of child where everybody liked him. Uh, He had this infectious smile and a loud laugh that would draw you in. When he was five and went to kindergarten, um, there were some difficulties. We didn't know what it was. Took him to the pediatrician and she said, we need to take him to have him evaluated. Come to find out, he had a learning disability. He, When he read, he didn't comprehend the way the other kids did. So we bared down and we sought the Lord. We took him, he had a tutor and he got had an IP when he went back to school. We took him and put him in private school for three years. And I asked Dr. Nash at the time, I said, when will we know to take him back? She said, he'll tell you. 
One day he was getting ready to go to school and I had taken him out of the public school in our area. And he said, when am I gonna ride the bus again? God let me know, it's time. So he went back to uh, the regular public school and he excelled in everything. It was like this kid, everything he dared to do, he excelled in it. He played soccer, he played baseball, he played basketball, he played uh, football, and football became his love. He graduated from Parkway North and he went to uh, University of Cincinnati. And because we have always been a very close family, Jason was there for from August to November. And he called my sister and he was crying. He was upset. And for an 18-year-old to cry, you know he has to be upset. My sister called me and said, he's not happy. He's not happy. He was at a school where all the kids went home for the weekend. My kids, the older kids, they always brought people here. Nobody ever invited him. So he spent every weekend in a dorm by himself. And um, we decided we'd go and get him. And we went and picked him up. He came home and he transferred uh, to uh, South, at the time it was Southwest Missouri State. But he wanted that football. He wanted that football. He went to Southwest and he was, uh, he sat on the bench for that first uh, semester, that first year of football. And somebody told him about this school that uh, he would be able to play football. He didn't play football, but what he did was he went to Joplin, Missouri, to, um, it was that at that time called uh, Missouri Southern. And I tell you, he, Jason loved youth. He worked at a youth gateway, I think it was called Gateway Youth Center. The children loved him, the staff loved him. Uh, he worked at the finish line selling shoes. And there was a parent that would come in with her little boy and he'd say, well, I, I don't want you to buy shoes unless JJ is here. So that was the type of spirit that he had. He was always making friends. When he was, I guess, a, a, a junior, he would call me so many times, Tracy. My uh, so-and-so is having a problem, we got to pray. Uh, next week, somebody else had an issue, we had to pray. And I was just amazed that he knew the Lord so well, but he also knew the power of prayer. And when anybody needed it, JJ was going to call his mama and we were going to pray. So he was just, he was what I would consider a really cool kid because he got along with old people. He got along with his peers and he for sure got along with his parents. My husband, when it was time for him to go to college, my husband took Jason to every college that he wanted to look at. And that was like their boys, boys trip. So he was a really keen young man. He was raised with a lot of love and he gave a lot of love. He gave love up until the very, very end. He sounds like he just, he touched everybody that he ever met. And that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Um, he had the impact on people's lives, um, no matter where he was. It sounds like whatever environment he was in, he drew people. He did. 
And that's wonderful. That's amazing. And to, for him to have had a heart of prayer like that, that took a deep sense of caring for other people. Amen. Because we know that when we're praying for other people, that is a very unselfish thing to do because you have to shift your focus yeah. from yourself to what somebody else needs. And when you go before God with somebody else's need, you um, become the catalyst to see to it that they are better. Yes. And so that tells me he was such an unselfish person. Was. He knew the power of prayer and he knew that his mother knew the power of prayer as yes. well. Yes. And, and so you said that he was that way um, until the end. Tell us what happened to Jason. Okay. Um, Jason was um, an African-American, a black man in a town that was predominantly white, but he was raised with people. He saw color, but it didn't matter because in Joplin, the majority of his friends were white and they were really friends. Um, he was uh, at Missouri Southern and, and working. And this his birthday was on the 29th of September. And on the 2nd of October, he and another guy had gone out. He went to a convenience store and he was in line waiting to be waited on. And he came out, he got in the truck with his friend. They rode about two or three blocks. When they got to a stop sign, a more mature white man jumped out of his vehicle and stabbed Jason in the neck. Uh, now to back you up to the convenience store, we saw the video. What happened was this girl, in fact, she and her boyfriend both were meth addicted. And she gets, got in, her, in his truck and said, the black guy in the store bumped me. And it wasn't until recently that somebody mentioned why Emmett Till was killed. And I paralleled that with what happened to Jason. Because of the lie of a white woman, my son was killed. When it happened, uh, uh, a cafe or something across the street saw it. Because when the guy stabbed him, Jason got out of the car to go to him, then he collapsed. The people came out, called the ambulance, but they began to put towels from the cafe on him to try to stop the bleeding. We went, uh, he, we, we were, I was home, uh, it was on a Friday night, and my husband and I were, I think, looking at television, and we got a call from Jason's girlfriend, and she said, uh, she was talking very slow and, and uh, deliberate, and she said, uh, Jason got cut. I said, he got cut? She said, yes, he got cut. I said, how is he? She said, well, I think you guys need to come. So everything started going through my mind. You know, like at first I was frozen. It was like I had a brain freeze. And my husband decided to call the hospital and talk to a doctor. So today, I don't know exactly what he said, but he let my husband know that it's serious and you need to get here. So 
my husband called a friend and said, we've got to go to Joplin because Jason is hurt. And he said, how are you going? He said, well, we're driving. And our friend said, no, you're not. You can't do that by yourself. You're too upset. So he and his wife came and took us to Joplin. Okay, we're in the car. It is pouring down rain. Uh, it was lightning, it was thundering. And my husband and I were sitting in the back seat. And when I usually when I tell tell somebody this, it sounds crazy. I was couldn't sleep looking out of the window. I saw a cameo of Bill Cosby. When I first saw it, it didn't make sense. So I turned my head and I looked back again and I saw a cameo of Bill Cosby. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go through. I mean, I've seen this in myself. I didn't want anybody to know. I said, I don't want to go through what Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby's son had just been killed. I don't want to go through what they are going through. So we get to Joplin. Um, everything happened like a lifetime movie, something that you would see on television. When we got there, his, some of his friends came. Uh, Jason's best friend in Joplin was a white guy by the name of Jerry Cobal, who is still close to my husband and myself. That's a relationship that will probably last until the day I take my last breath. This young man, Jason, uh, challenged him. I'm just telling this to tell you how close they were. He challenged him. Jason wore a bald head. He told G, um, J, uh, Jerry, he said, I dare you to cut all your hair off because white boys don't go bald. He cut all his hair off. As a tribute to Jason, his head is still bald. He said, I'll never let it grow back. He said, this is how I remember JJ. This is a bond that we had. But we went to court, myself, my two sons, and that Bible. And I carried that Bible because there had been so many people, and mind you, we're the only blacks in the courtroom. Uh, the jury was all white. The perpetrator never turned around and looked at us. He kept his back to us. But in the midst of his attorney talking, I just, in my spirit, I just kept saying, when my enemy comes to eat up my flesh, they will stumble and fall. I must have repeated that about four times. She started to stammer and couldn't finish what she was trying to say, which made me feel like God was sitting on my side, on my lap, because it was so powerful. One of the detectives told us, he said, we're going to find him. We're going to find him, I promise you that. Everybody in the city of Joplin wanted this man caught. They cared that where he, Jason worked, where he went to church, the two places that he worked, they cared about him. He carried a high standard and good character and they respected him for that. So we went through the trial. I never, Tracy, I never asked for the death penalty, but they did. They said, we want him to go. And during the trial, he was sentenced to first degree murder. Um, when he, they gave him his sentence, he was sentenced to death. And you know, uh, and if you know anything about the, the in law enforcement, you can, you can try, you can appeal time after time. 
After the third time he was going before the uh, to appeal, he said, I give up. He said, I'll, I'll declare I'm guilty if you just let me have life without parole. And that's what they did. But I just know that that was a reason for that. I had a very selfish reason for not wanting him to have the death penalty because I wanted him to, to get saved. I wanted him to understand. I wanted to, God to penetrate his heart so that he would be sorry, heartfelt sorry for what he did. Uh, somebody asked me not too long ago if he'd ever tried to get in touch with us. No, but we are every time he takes a move because he's been sick, he's been in and out of the hospital, they always let us know. But that's between him and God. We are, you're, we're through. But that Jason Johnson, uh, when he passed, we got calls. We got so much. It was like uh, we were in a whirlwind. Uh, when, when we went to the service that morning, um, I got to page where Solomon Temple Church is, that's where the service was. And we're in the limousine and I said, what happened? Because they have shut Paige down. The limousine driver said, Mrs. Johnson, they had to shut Paige down because it became a parking lot. Uh, it was a little over 900 people there. The church that he belonged to chartered a bus to come here for his service. So all of these things kept telling me and my husband, you did a good job. This was a good kid. He loved people and people love him. And sometimes I hold on to that so closely. I can feel, I can feel my child in my heart, just like flesh to flesh. It's a journey. It's a journey, Tracy. It's a journey. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And when he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I know it, I believe it, and I, I, I stand on that. You know, I want to go back to something that you said about the fact that when he was in Joplin, he was basically in a place where not very many people looked like him. You're right. Okay? You're right. Um, he was in a white community. He was in a school that was mostly white. Yes. Right? Yes. But he loved people. When we were, and, and this is true for most of us as African Americans, we're surrounded by people often who hate us just because of who we are, right? Right, right. But, we are raised to love. We're not raised to hate them because they hate us, right? Because had we been raised that way, then we would have been raised to suffer with a heart full of hatred. And so I often have to think about people who do the things to us, who did like the man who murdered Jason, what kind of weight is that kind of hatred? And what happens often is that the weight of that hatred really becomes another weapon against us because they can't carry it, not really. 
And so they use that as another weapon. The weight of it causes them to hate us more. And all the time, we are living a life, looking at those who hate us, making the choice not to live a life of hatred and to do our best as honest, loving people, no matter how much they hate us. Yes. And it's not a struggle because we were raised that way. We could have been raised to say, well, because they hate you, you do this and you do that against them, but we were not raised that way. Right. We weren't. Right. And so it's difficult sometimes to comprehend how could someone do the things that they do against us for no reason. But Jason had the victory. He loved people no matter what they did. And we know, we can easily assume that that was not as the tragedy, um, I'm not undermining, but being where he was and who he was, he encountered people who didn't like him. Yes. But it didn't change his heart. No, you're right. It did you're not right. change his heart. But the love that was poured out, um, the love that was expressed, the, the, the turnout, the crowd, the people who came to pay respect to him tells you what kind of man he was. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and want, go ahead. I want to put a little caveat into that. Jason was with a young lady. They were so connected by the soul. Although she was she's she is white they were connected by the spirit and the soul they had a lot of the same values the night of his birthday she said that he he sat on the porch they sat on the back porch for almost a whole night while he talked about everybody he knew he made fun of the way we walked the things that we did and she said she knew everybody but that that was in, Jason died in 1998. I talked to Holly. We emailed each other last week. From 1998, they were both 28, till today, she still doesn't date. I was a little disturbed a few years ago. I said, Holly, you have so much to offer. She said, that was my soulmate. I know God gave him to me. And I don't want anything to taint the, what he left. That's amazing. Ooh. That is amazing. It is. It is. What an amazing young woman she is. She is. She is. Yeah. So he left an impact. If we were to talk about his legacy, what would you say is Jason's legacy because when you use that word legacy so we've talked about how um wonderful he was in terms of the way he treats treated people the way he loved people the way he um had an affinity to um be a light to other young men um and how he excelled at everything he did he was amazing um, but when I use that word legacy, um, what is it that nothing can erase? 
concern his life. If you had to name one thing, what would that be? The pouring out of love. Pouring out of love. The ultimate goal, goal when he finished school was he and Holly, his girlfriend, and his cousin, who's like his brother, Scott, they were gonna open a youth center that was geared towards sports, but it was also geared toward children that had problems. And they would use those sports to mainstream these children. That's one of the reasons that he worked at Gateway Youth Services, because that's what he did. He was like a counselor. Uh, to help these young people see that whatever they were going through, whatever reason they were in that center, because this was a, a, a live-in center, they had some live-in and some coming in and out, that you could make it. And we're going to find out what sport it is that you like that's going to help you to excel in your dreams. Wow. Yeah. That is a legacy. Yeah. That's what that was. That was his ultimate, that was his dream. That was his dream. Um, they planted a tree and put a, a plaque, I guess maybe three years after he died. So on the campus of Southern, um, Missouri Southern, there's a plaque and a tree that belongs to Jason Johnson. Wow, wow. <laughs> Amazing young man. Yes. And, and that word legacy fits him. Yes. It does. Yes. Um, so let me ask a question about what you and your husband have gone through as parents who so tragically lost him. Um, how has God managed to preserve? First of all, God had strengthened me and prepared me and I didn't know it. I just knew that I had become, I was had changed churches for a while to get some more foundation. Uh, the spirit of God grew in me. Uh, I became, uh, well, for a minute, I was kind of like a fanatic. You know how when you first get saved, you, you're just all energetic and everybody's got to be saved. You got to be saved right now because you know don't know when Jesus is coming back. So as I settled down, I realized that God has something for me to do. This was in the, the hub and the middle of my business. And that's when I knew that I had to be responsible for these young women and young girls and little girls that were coming into my studio not just to dance. And we have had some testimonies where young women who are grown now and some are really, really grown, where they say, I thought I came to exercise and to lose weight, but it was really for salvation. Wow. And it was for deliverance. When I started my business, I had men and women, but then when God tapped into my heart, he said, you're gonna have to let the men go. Well, I didn't understand that they would, I mean, we were having a good time. He said, too many women are gonna to come to you that are need, going to need healing from something that happened between them and a man. And they can't do it if they're dancing side by side with a man. So I had to get rid of the boys and one guy told me he was gonna protest, but I try to be obedient 
And that was exactly, it was exactly what happened. Women began to come and they began to rid themselves of the things that were holding them down, the things that, that had been hurting them. My husband right now is not as well as he has been, but he is an advocate for our young black men. He used to go before he had a stroke, he used to go to, um, oh my God, Father Support. He would oh, go to I Father know, Support. Very well. Yeah. And he would sit there and he would find somebody to talk to. He didn't work there, but got, but he went there as an advocate because he had a heart. And he, uh, he sees that sometimes they just need somebody to talk to. He said, and that's what he did a lot of times. Just listen, an, an ear. You don't have to always give them advice. Just hear what they have to say and feel their hearts. And that's what, that is his ministry. So I think we have both done things and are doing things that what Jason would be proud of because that's what he did. He had a knack at seeing and, and having a relationship with the underdog and letting them know you all right, there's nothing wrong with you. And this happened with him with men and with with his youth as male as well as female. So this is pretty much, I have uh, more women that I minister to. My husband has more men that he ministers to. That's wonderful that you're both ministering. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Tell me how, tell us how God has kept your mind because I've been through some things in my life, which you know. Yes. And I know from experience, there are times when it feels like it's gonna unravel. And you look at where you are when you're in the middle of what you're going through and it feels like it's not doable. It feels like you cannot survive it. And then you look up and it is six months later and you're still here. It's a year later and you're still here. It's 10 years later and you're still here because God has preserved you even when you didn't feel like you could do it on your own. That's how amazing he is with keeping us. Tell us how God has kept your mind. Well, first, let me say this. I knew a few families who lost children and they got a divorce. And I, I really believe that a lot of people thought that that was gonna happen to Oscar and I. But God is, you have to find that place. You have to find what it is that he wants you to do. do. And I have said this, just what you said a minute ago. I'm still here. So my work is not finished. It doesn't mean that I've done something wrong because I mean, nobody is perfect. It just means that my son had done his job and here it is 23 years later and people are still talking about him. I have not finished my job. And there are times when like just around his birthday is very hard for me. Some years I go through and I, I might shed a tear or so. Uh, I talked to him, you know, Jake, sometime I said, why'd you leave me here? You know, you were my buddy. But there are times, Tracy, when I might cry two or three days in a row. 
cry to the point where my chest hurts. But it's almost like huh, when David's baby was sick and he put on the sackcloth and ashes and he prayed for that baby to live. Yes. But then when that baby died, it was like he's free. He's healed. He's healed spiritually. So I have to put myself in the position of, I've yet got work to do. I have a lot of work to do. What I'm doing now is I have an online ministry, 15 minutes, Monday through Friday. When my studio closed, I was, for three weeks I was crushed because for 37 years I was working out with women Monday through Thursday. We are holding hands, praying before we dance. Then all of a sudden, I have that no more. On during the uh, on the Saturday, from 10 o'clock in the morning to two o'clock in the afternoon, I had these young kids, young little girls. I had that no more. So I asked the Lord, what am I going to do? I, I, that three weeks was a depression, but I'm not the, a one that would stay into depression. I jumped up one day and I said, I have got to stop sleeping and eating. This is a sign of depression. I can't do this. So uh, we started this online and 15, at least 15 minutes, we pray, do scripture and music. It satisfies me. Every now and then I have this longing in my heart to go back, but we can't go back to yesterday. So I have to make the best of today. And it doesn't mean that my heart doesn't hurt because sometimes when I look at Jason's picture, my heart feels like it's going to erupt. I remember telling the Lord one day, how can I hurt this bad and still be alive? I just don't believe it. Yes. But he has a way of holding me, speaking to me. And I let God have his way in my heart. That's the only way that I can still stand I have this new saying where people are angry with somebody. I tell them, just go to a happy place in your head. Don't let them disturb your spirit. But I thank God. I thank God for what he has done because I could not have done it. My husband and I could not have done it alone if we did not have the Lord, if we did not practice being good people sanctified people, people that always want to help somebody else because it's the help of God that keeps me here and in my right mind. It's not always easy, but no, it can be done. It's it not always easy, mm -hmm. but it can be done with the help of God. That's it. You said so much that people really, I pray, will tap into. Um, the pain still comes but god is still real yeah right there are days like you said when it feels like your 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 heart is hurting so much that it, it would just erupt but god is still there god does not change he is the same god yesterday today and forevermore and you know i turn to david so often you know why david had a way of putting on paper. I mean, almost everything we feel emotionally, 
Um, I mean, we can look at the Psalms and say, how did he put my words to paper like that? (laughs) You can always relate to David because David was one who went through tragedy. He went through disappointment. He went through disappointment. He went in himself, right? Correct. There were times where he had to lay out before God and empty everything inside of him. And I certainly had to do that. Lord, this is me with my unperfect, imperfect self, but I'm coming to you just as I am so that you can help me get up from here and serve you better. Yes. And God will do that. He'll help us to get up from where we are and serve him better. When David was crying over his son, he fasted and he prayed and he sought God, right? The Bible says when he heard word that there was nothing left he could do, he was able to get up. Some people need to hear right now, you can get up. You can get up. We serve a God who lifts us up when it seems impossible. And so this whole series that I've done, I wrote an article and this um, podcast is really about the lifting. How has God lifted you when it seemed like you would never get up again? How has God lifted you from where you were so that you could continue? And so God, in his special way, had something else for you, right? You're still touching lives. You're still preaching the word. You're still praying for people. And you're still in your online ministry. You are still in the hands of God as a blessing to somebody else. Some people get stuck. Right. And they don't know that they can be lifted. You know, the Bible says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. O ye gates, yes. And be ye lifted up. In other words, let the lifting come. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Shall <laughs> come in. Who is this king of glory? The yes. Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He is strong enough to lift you up when it feels like you cannot move. And then not only that, he's mighty in battle. That means whatever it takes in the spirit (laughs) for you to get the victory, he is mighty in battle to deliver you. That's the God we serve. And that's the God who has lifted you up and keeps lifting you whenever you need it. Yes, yes. We serve an amazing God. What would you say to others who have suffered the loss? It may be a child. It may not be a child. But they have suffered the loss of one. And it feels like they they can't stop struggling through it. To them, it feels like a better day is never coming. What would you say to, to that person? I would say open up and let the Holy Spirit in and know that every day, every day, he's given us brand new mercies. If you didn't get it on yesterday, let yesterday be gone because it's not coming back. Concentrate 
on somebody else. Concentrate on something else. Don't let yourself get caught in a spirit of grief. It will eat your heart up. It will take your blood pressure up. It'll cause things, it will cause your body to be sick. Lift yourself up because he is right there. I quite often say, reach your right hand up to God and your left hand down to pull somebody up. Pull somebody up that needs help because it's always somebody worse off than you. But if you open the doors to your heart, I declare and decree in the name of Jesus, he will not leave you in the muck and the mire. He won't even leave you in grief. Grieve for a little while, but come up out of there, my brother. Come out, my sister. Come out of that and live your life. You are here for a reason. Don't let finances, don't let divorce, don't let uh, the death, don't let any of those things hold you down. Grief is okay for a little while but you can't live with it. It'll tear you up. It will tear you up. It'll be like a cancer eating at your inside. So let God love on you. And then you find somebody to love. Find somebody that you can embrace and you can help. At that time, you're forgetting about where you are and it leaves, it leaves. It, it, it may not leave forever, but it be some release and release is like putting a block of ice in St. Louis and it's July the 4th. That thing will fall away. Oh It'll fall. That's the kind of God we serve. Yes. Yes. Amazing. God is so good. I thank God for you. I thank God for what he has done in your life. I thank God for who you are. Um, I thank God for the power that is in you because I certainly feel the presence of God as he's using you on this podcast tonight. And I'm so thankful for that. And, and I believe that the audience, as they listen to this, I believe somebody will be lifted. Somebody will understand you can live with the help of God. There are some things we cannot do on our own, but with the help of God, we find ourselves being lifted. And I'm so thankful for God. I'm thankful for you tonight. Um, I want to pray for those who feel like they're in quicksand. Because that's what it can feel like. The grief can feel like you're in quicksand. Like, I, I just can't pull myself up from here. And I want to pray for people who feel like that. And then I want you to tell us, I want you to talk to us about something that is upcoming, um, a continuation of Jason's story. Okay. So, Heavenly Father, you are so amazing. Lord, you are so good. Lord, your word says you are a man of grief. You are acquainted with grief and you are a man of sorrows. You understand the depth of our pain. Even if we cannot put it into words, you understand it. So Lord, I just thank you for the journey that you have blessed Charlie to come through, that you have brought Reverend Johnson through. Lord God, it has not been easy, but Lord, she is so full of your spirit that she has been able to hear you and she has been able to see and take your hand so that you could pull her through. 
Lord, you have used her to save many. You have used her to bless the lives of many. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that as you continue to use her, Lord God, that you would pour back into her what she has poured out continually. I pray in Jesus' name that you would do something special for her, something even unexpected for her as a special blessing because she has poured out of herself as a blessing to so many people. Lord, I pray a hedge around her in Jesus' name and around her husband as they continue to minister and do your work. And we pray for the audience tonight. Whomever, Lord, feels like they cannot be lifted up because of the grief, because of the pain, because of the loss, I pray that they would let you in so that you can minister to them and bring them through. Lord God, we know you're able, you're mighty God, you're an amazing God. We thank you for your power to deliver. Thank you that you are the God of all comfort. When we can't find it, it is in you. And we give you all of the glory tonight for your wonderful works toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I thank God for you. Thank God. Reverend Johnson. I want you to tell us about what's, you have something special coming up on Netflix and I want you to tell the audience what that is and I will continue to give updates so that we don't miss it. Okay. Uh, a few weeks ago I opened up an email and I don't open up all emails but I was led to open this email up. It was a young man who is doing a documentary for Netflix. They're doing a documentary on people that are incarcerated for killing other human beings. They're, the documentary is started out with starts out with Gary Black, the man that killed Jason. But they said, we want to know who Jason was. And I was, after 23 years, um, they're from, they're coming from the UK. They are in the States as of this past Monday. I don't know when they're coming to us. They're gonna spend two days with my husband and myself, uh, Jason's best friend and his uh, girlfriend. And I was just, I was overwhelmed because after 23 years, somebody wants to know about Jason. So I've talked to them. And the, the day that I talked to the young man that is actually going to do it was Jason's birthday. So <laughs> 29th of September. So I'll let you know. And I love you, Tracy. I love you. I thank God for you. And I thank God for your journey. I thank him for your journey. But I will let you know about the Netflix deck documentary. Okay. We certainly want to see it. And I believe it's going to continue his legacy. Amen. 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 God bless you. I thank you so much for taking the time with me this evening. I believe it's going to be such a blessing to the people who hear I this. Pray. I pray. I pray. Because if he did it for me, he'll do it for them. Yes. Amen. God bless Amen. you. You too, sweetie. Take care. You do the same. Give me okay. one second. Okay. <laughs>